we come into this season known as Christmas and a lot of things change for us. A lot of activities, depending on your age, depending on your responsibilities as a spouse, as a parent, as a grandparent, as an educator, whatever, our lives get pretty busy. Church activities. As we close service, I'm sure Carrie will update you where we are with the activities of even this week. Very busy. And in the midst of all the busyness and the hustle and the bustle, the, the music now that we hear, that we only hear for four or five weeks of the year, all the themes of Christmas, everything from Rudolph to something more sacred in our mind of, uh, that's worshiping the Lord. In all of that, we come to something that's a mental image etched in every one of our minds. It's known as the nativity. And at the nativity in our minds, we have certain people that were there that night. The traditions that's been passed down to us. We know Joseph was there, obviously, and Mary obviously was there. and Baby Jesus, of course, being given to us at that time. We sing about the cattle that were there lowing in worship and adoration. We talk about the shepherds. And then we come to a group known by different titles, known as the Magi or known as the Wise Men. Several years ago, preaching, I tried to just ease up to this subject about the Wise Men. Were they there? And I tried to be so nice and politically correct. But I got over my political correctness. <laughs> the wise men were not there that night. The story is even better than them being there that night. Now, again, if you have a nativity scene in your front yard, don't go out and spray paint over the wise men. Just, <laughs> just let somebody enjoy it. Maybe it'll be an inroad. Whoever these gentlemen were, and it could have been more than three, we typically come up with three because of the three types of gifts that were given. Now, I'm setting the stage for a, a deeper thought, but again, with these, these individuals, we know they could not have been there that night, and the Bible tells us that when you read it closer. By the time they, they saw Jesus, he was no longer an infant. He was known as a young child, and we know because of Herod's action that Jesus could have been somewhere around two years of age by the time they got to see the Christ child because he was slaughtering the male children that were born at the time the wise men had communicated to him. So if it was a full two years, that's a pretty good story, isn't it? That they refused to stop their journey until they laid eyes on Jesus. And it speaks greatly, but that's not what the message is about today. It just sets the stage about a king. What qualifies a king? Is Jesus a king? Was he identified as a king at that time? And what has that got to do with Christmas? It has a lot to do with the Christmas season. When we come into this season and we think about the nativity, and again, we see the shepherds there, and we see the wise men there, the different social paths that would have brought them in that image of worshiping the Christ child. We like that nativity scene. We have a beautiful nativity scene by the fireplace in the foyer. 
And in that imagery, it becomes magical to us. And if there's someone streaming or maybe someone here in person that, that uh, has not been churched and has not read the Bible for themselves, and, and they're like, I, I really want to know more about that night. We, we get this imagery and it, it seems so mystical, so magical. For many of us, it becomes a romantic feel, just the adoration and the, and the love. I, I, again, if you've ever been around a, uh, a lot of animals in a stockyard or a barnyard, I mean, there's some smells going on. Yeah, I got your attention now. There's bleeding and there's, there's, there's sounds going on. So again, we've tried to create this image in our mind of just this placid, beautiful Swiss Alps building in the Middle East. <laughs> Told you I'm not going to be politically correct. Because there's something about that imagery that we want to embrace. That the Prince of Peace has come. And because of his effect, everything became perfect. How many knows it's not perfect yet? Again, it becomes fabled in our mind. And when the Magi came that night, when they saw him, they had gone to Herod first, and whether it was 40 days or two full years before they saw him, they were asking Herod at the time of Jesus' birth, when they're talking to Herod, we're seeking the one who was born king of the Jews. He didn't hear of the Jews. He just heard king, and it scared him to death. I want you to stand with me as we read God's word together. Just three verses found in the Christmas story of Matthew. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Those of you streaming, follow as well. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he? who's been born king of the Jews. For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. But not only him, and all Jerusalem with him. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Let it speak to us again today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you're seated. Now we're moving away from this placid, beautiful, ornate picture in our mind and trying to grasp reality of the timelines and who was there and who wasn't there. And already now the picture's getting distorted because somebody's not happy that a king is being born. It's the other king. Herod the Great was not a Jew himself, and yet he was given that jurisdiction He's hearing, I'm being replaced because kingships dealt primarily with heredities. Who is this? I got to kill him out. Notice that the scriptures bears out the truth as well, but it wasn't just Herod that was nervous about job security. It was everybody. There's a king. What kind of king will it be? We already got a bad one. It could get worse. Let's get it to where we are today. Here we are a couple thousand years plus removed from this scene. 
And again, we're dealing with our Christmas season, everything from Christmas trees and Santa Clauses to nativity scenes and trying to blend it all together, mix it all together. And we come to this imagery again of Jesus being born King of the Jews. And we want to put a crown upon his head there at birth in our mind because he would be worthy of that if he's a king. But our problem is this. We're Americans. Or at least you have come to this country at this time and you're living in North America. We have a hard time relating to a king. We don't have a king that we're responsible to. We're used to presidents. We're not, we're not used to a king that can go in for a lifetime. We're used to the election cycles. We're used to, to popularity votes. Depending on which side of the aisle you're on, it comes to election. Is Well, we expect our, our guy got in, so we expect this, this, and this. Well, we didn't get our guy in this time, so look out for this and this and this. And we find ourselves in that area. But a king? What do we do with a king? And the reason as a pastor I'm preaching a message like this is because it's, it's the heart of the message of Christmas. What do we do with a king? If you don't know what to do with him, how do you really pay homage and honor? What is the message that the Scripture is bearing out to us? You see, we talk a lot about the kingdom, but a kingdom's not a kingdom without a king. you got to have a king. We understand, again, that when Jesus would come, he, he spoke of a kingdom, but he didn't speak of that kingdom that he was being awarded by the description of the Magi. He spoke of the kingdom of heaven. The Magi, the reason they were even there, the, the, these individuals, whether it was three or whether it was 12, a small entourage, whoever they were, they were astrologers. They were probably Persian. And they had traveled miles to come to worship this person because of a star. They knew the significance. You and I, again, struggle with the story because we don't watch the stars. We can't see the stars. With all the city glow, we can't get the privilege of a beautiful sky. When, when, when my family and I, we lived in Arizona, we'd have the, the, the privilege of seeing the, the mash of starry host, but here we don't get that privilege. And so we sure don't have the significance of the alignment of these stars. And yet the Bible always talks about the stars. It shows forth the glory of God. These individuals were studying, and now there's that significance of that star, so we're going to follow it because it represents, and we're looking for a king. So this is why they asked for king of the Jews when they came. Again, what would qualify the carpenter's son of being a king? Obviously, it didn't show up in his lineage. So again, was Jesus really born king? And yet, this followed Jesus, not only at his birth did it, but also at his death. For on his cross, they put the inscription, king of the Jews. But was he a king? And what does that mean to us? You got your seatbelts on today? Go ahead and click them. Because the real message about a king at this time deals with a kingdom. And when you have a kingdom with a king, now where we really struggle is if you're not the king, 
but you're under that king's auspices, then you know what that makes us? Subjects. And we don't do well at being subject to anything, do we? Turn to the person next to you and say, he's talking about you. We're independent. My mother was nicer to my sister here because my mother would look at me. She said, son, you're so independent. You're as independent as a hog on ice. That is an ugly mental picture. (laughs) She's the nice one. She's the sweet one. yeah. Yeah, sure. Come on. I'll even get a roll tide before that's over. You know who you are. So what is it speaking to us? We want to see the king. And Herod is troubled in all of Jerusalem with him. Because here's the message. Only one can sit on the throne. And as subjects, we want to know who that king is who we're subject to. But it even goes beyond that for us because we want to be sitting upon our own throne, don't we? Oh, it got quiet. You see, this whole thing of being called a Christian, this whole thing of being a Christ follower, comes down to the subject of a kingdom with a king. And we're not the king. I've shared with you in the past, one of my uh, superintendents, overseers in the church of God, uh, Dr. Rose, who's gone home to be with the Lord, he would get in a a state meeting with nothing but preachers. Can you imagine that job? And he'd get up and say, man, I've learned two things. One is there is a God. Number two, I'm not him. (laughs) So there's a king, and we are to be subject. Here's the way Jesus put it. You'll find it in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. He says, if you don't hate, there's a strong word, your father, your mother, your spouse, your children, your siblings, you're not worthy to follow me. You've got to put me first. Boy, I got nervous in the house. See, I thought we took that scripture out. He said, but to be my disciple, my subject, you have to put me first. The word hate translated into English really goes back. It was a hyperbole to get the point across. So don't leave here saying, I got the right to hate my wife. Pastor Brooks said I could do that. Do not do that. Roll Tide. <laughs> Feel that spirit of resistance in the half? This is the subject. We want to find the king because only one can sit on the throne. And we've come to worship him. My God, that's a preach. That's the message. Educated, obviously of wealth, to travel that distance. 
What if it took two years of a caravan traveling? And we've come with a single purpose to worship Him, the one who will sit on the throne. This King. Our struggle again, I, I was reminded of a song I, I, I Googled it this morning and played it again because it was a 1978 cut by a, a, an artist by the name of Tim Shepard. It was entitled The Surf and the King. And the song played out with a beautiful, I like ballads anyhow, I like storytelling songs. And the whole imagery of a king and the subjects known as serfs. And you had the surf who would look up and said, oh, king, would you come down from your castle into my wishing well? I wish that I was living in a different place. I wish. I've heard about a land where the king and the serfs are equal in harmony with one another, but I don't live in a place like that. Oh, king, would you come down from your castle and come into my wishing well? I wish it was different. And finally, the story song goes on until finally, this serf who looks a lot like me came up and said, I am the castle king. Oh, how can that be? You look like me. And he said, I didn't even realize. Of course, the mind fills in the lyrics for you. Until I came to the moat and the drawbridge came down and I was able to walk in with the serf who looked like me, but he was actually the king. And he sat on the throne. That's a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. You see, when Jesus stood before Pilate, Pilate's asked him, are you a king? He said, you say I am. Jesus never took that title himself. He talked about the kingdom. And so it is with us again now, our struggle our deep-seated struggle of being subject to somebody other than ourself. It should be quiet because it's that time of soul search. Every one of us battle this resistance in our heart to give that throne up. We marry somebody and we say, we're going to be equal in this union, but the battle has just started. Can I hear a hearty amen? Children born into that union, but the battle, who's really in charge here? Do the kids have the right to say something? We can go on and on and on. All these struggles going on, but who's sitting on the throne? Again, as Americans, we struggle with this whole concept of a king because a king represents total authority. And we are to be 100% loyal. That's hard for us, especially because we don't have a king. We have presidents, and we have the right of freedom of speech, and we, we can... We can diss this one, we can talk about this one, we can, we can send memes out, all these things, but with a king, you could never do that. When I looked it up, I thought, what is the subject of the king? What is the role 
you'd be shocked. It came out this simple. It's to speak to you today. The role of a king is to mend broken relationships. Can you believe that? To keep his word, to act in honesty, and takes responsibility for his actions. I wonder about the kingdom of heaven now. Is Jesus king of that kingdom? And if so, does he live up to the role of a king? Does he take responsibility for his actions? Does he operate in honesty? And does he mend relationships? We would say amen, amen, and amen again. He qualifies to be a king, but again, is he king? 1 Timothy 6 and 15, Revelation 19 and 16 speaks of the unapproachable light that he is. You see, the first time Jesus came, he came and others were saying he was king of the Jews. But the Bible declares when he comes again, he's coming not only as king of the Jews, but king of all kings. Revelation eleven fifteen shows us what is yet ahead. Revelation eleven fifteen says, in that seventh trumpet seal opened. And when it opens, it says there were voices out of heaven saying, the kingdoms of the world have now become the kingdoms of our Lord and the Christ. Wow. So we're in the process of these things. That image again that John, the revelator, could see. He said, I saw him coming on a white horse in his return. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his robe was dipped in blood. And across it, that sash saying, King of kings and Lord of lords. So the whole message is this. Already as Jesus came to us, there were those seeking a king, and wanted to inscribe him with that title, king. But Jesus never took that title. Matter of fact, when he stood before Pilate, and again the second time, Pilate said, well, are you a king? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It ought to help us today to realize now what's really going on for us. Because I know in this congregation and those streaming, we have the privilege of many nationalities being represented born in other countries other than the United States. And we understand that Jesus was given to the world, that the whole world could see him as Savior and Lord. He hasn't been deemed king of glory yet, but he has a kingdom. And this is what has to speak to us today as we close. We hear it from time to time, but what is really going on and once again, the scriptures bear it out. No matter if you're 20-something today, 30-something today, and right up to decades, and you know who you are. <laughs> We're only passing through. We're only pilgrims passing through a weary land right now. But we would have a king, old castle king, would you, would you come down? I don't like what I'm going through right now. But Jesus promises us a kingdom where he is king. And the throne is actually seated in our hearts, every one of us. Who is seated there? 
And here's the real acid test. What kind of king is he? Is he one of full authority over my life? Or is he one that I have given the title to, but he will do my bidding? Is he one who created me in his image, or is he a God that I've created in my image? You see, as long as we're passing through this old world, we're going to battle right here, the battle of the heart, and there's one throne seat. Only one king can sit there. Am I the king of my own life? Am I one who just says, okay, Jesus, I'm going to let you sit there from time to time, but now if you're not doing what I like, I'm going to, I'm going to remove you and I'm going to take over and show you how to get the job done. How many has been guilty of that? The rest of you liars, would you lift your hands? <laughs> this is the battle. This is the battle. This is the message of a king. Where is he that is born king? Where is he that we may come and worship him on Sunday morning only? Wait a minute. That wasn't in there, was it? We've come to worship him. Not what he does for us. We've come to worship him. We've come to honor him. Would you stand with me today?